0: Wildwood Community Church exists to glorify God by connecting people to Christ, His worship, His community, and His mission. To contact us or for more information, see our website at wildwoodchurch.org. Hey, good morning, Wildwood. Really glad that we have a chance to be together today. Sorry that it's just through these electronic means, um, as I'm here in Wildwood's Worship Center, but I'm here alone. Uh, the weather has kept us from being able to be together today. I was thinking as I sat in this room and looked out at all of these empty seats, uh, I feel like if I was going to put a hashtag on this experience, I would just put hashtag lonely. Um, But the great thing is that I'm not alone, that uh, there's no place on this earth we can go that takes us away from the presence of our Heavenly Father. I know that I'm united in one heart and mind with the believing community, the body of Christ here in Norman, uh, including you, and I I know also that the Holy Spirit is within me, and so even though I'm sitting here alone in a room talking to a camera on a computer, uh, I know that we are together. Jesus said, uh, as he talked to the woman at the well, he said that the time is coming, and now is, when we will not care about where we worship whether it is on this mountain or that mountain, but that those who truly worship will worship in spirit and in truth. And so as we gather today uh, in one spirit, as we gather today around the one truth, uh, I'm excited for us to to have this experience of worshiping together, even in the midst of some difficult circumstances uh, with the weather. And so anyway, we are going to be continuing our study today of the life of Jesus. We began it a couple of weeks ago in a series that we're calling Passion Road, Meeting Jesus on the Way to the Cross. Uh, two weeks ago, we began this study with kind of a general look at what it meant to follow Jesus. Last week, we continued it by looking at the parables of Jesus, specifically the parable of the talents, looking at what Jesus wants us to do now as we wait for his imminent return. And today, we're going to continue by looking at the power of Jesus, uh, what the miracles that Jesus worked, tell us about himself and and what uh, he has for you and me. And so I'm excited about that. This series is not only something that we are going through on Sunday morning in our worship service, but also something that we are going through in devotionals that are found online. You can find them there through Wildwood's website, through my blog, wildwoodmark.com, through the city. You can find them there. Or we have some print copies available here at the church as well. uh, Just designed during the days leading up to the Easter holiday, Resurrection. Sunday, for us to focus our hearts on Jesus, for us to meet with Him and get to know Him better, as a result of this season. And so that's where we're at today. We're going to be looking at the power of Jesus, and we're going to be doing so by looking at one particular miracle that Jesus worked in Mark chapter two, verses one to twelve. So uh, we're going to uh, dive into that study here in just a moment. But before we do that, I want to pray for us. Father, thank you for today. Thank you that we can gather around your word. Thank you that we can worship you. Father, I pray that you would take your word today and you would magnify it, you would multiply it, you would help us to understand it. Uh, Father, as it goes out today through these electronic means, I pray that everyone, no matter where they sit today, as they hear this message, that your spirit would work in their hearts To have them not just check a box and said that I did something spiritual today, but that you would help us uh, to really have a sense that we have worshipped you, that we've met with you in spirit and in truth. And, Father, I pray for that. I pray for each family uh, out there, each individual. pray that you would encourage them today. I know they're dealing with many things. pray that you would encourage their hearts this morning. Uh, Father, I pray that you would guide me in what I say, that I would say the things you've prepared for me to say and say nothing else that you would encourage our hearts through your truth. And we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen. Well, we are going to talk about the power of Jesus today. But before we do that, I want to kind of set it up by first mentioning uh, this idea of celebrity. Uh, Every culture has celebrities. Uh, You know, who is famous in, in our culture? Now there are some people who are famous just for being famous. We don't know why they're famous. They're just, they're just kind of famous. But that's really the exception, isn't it? Most people who are famous are famous for a reason. They're, they're famous because they're really good at something that we like. I think about Russell Westbrook. He's one of my favorite celebrities right now uh, because he's had three consecutive triple doubles over the weekend, in case you missed that. Uh, He's my favorite player for the Thunder. And so because he plays for my team, because he's really good at what he does, uh, he's famous. Uh, earlier this week my family went to dinner at uh, Rudy's and while we were there at Rudy's they were filming the OU basketball coaches show and I I looked up and coach Lon Kruger was there and we though I never met coach Kruger before I took my seven-year-old son over and he got an autograph and he got his picture taken with with the coach and and here's the thing we don't normally take a picture of our son with strangers Uh, we don't normally ask for their autograph but we did in this case why is that because He was a celebrity because he's he's famous, because he's really good at something that we like. You know, this phenomena of celebrity is not just something that is unique to our culture. It's something that is true of most every culture, even the culture of the first century. You know, in the very first century, uh, there were people who were famous, and they were famous because they were good at something that the people liked. What we see in Mark chapter 1 and Mark chapter 2 is the rise in Jesus celebrity in his day. We see people flocking to him. Why is that? They flocked to him because he was really good at something that they liked. And so what we're going to look at today in Mark chapter 2 is we're going to see the the impact. Why, why is it that people flocked to Jesus? What was it about who he was and his character that caused people to be drawn to him? Well, one of the reasons for that we're going to see today, and it's the working of miracles, uh, some of the, the uh, miraculous, powerful things that Jesus did. But Jesus did those miracles not just to entertain the crowd and not just to get more Twitter followers. Uh, Jesus worked those miracles for a very specific reason, and we're going to see that today as it reveals something to us of his character that was as true in the first century as it is today in the 21st century. So we're going to look today at Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. So if you've got a Bible, open up to Mark chapter 2, verses 1 to 12. Here's what those verses say. It says and when Jesus returned to Capernaum after some days it was, it was reported that he was at home, and many were gathered together so that there was no more room, not even at the door. and Jesus was preaching the word to them and they came bringing to Jesus a paralytic carried by four men and when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him and when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. And when Jesus saw their faith, he said to the paralytic, "'Son, your sins are forgiven.'" Now, some of the scribes were sitting there, and they were questioning in their hearts, "'Why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone?' And immediately, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned within themselves, said to them, "'Why do you question these things in your hearts?' Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven? Or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. But that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins, Jesus said to the paralytic, I say to you, Rise, pick up your bed, and go home. And the man rose. And immediately he picked up his bed and he went out before them all so that they were all amazed and glorified God saying, we never saw anything like this. Now, these are the words of Mark 2, 1 to 12. And what we're going to do today is we're going to walk through those verses. and really going to see three things about the power of Jesus and what it does uh, for us in our lives. Now, the first thing we're going to see is this. It's an encouragement to us to pursue Jesus. There's an encouragement to us from these verses to pursue Jesus. And we see that as something that would follow a pattern that happened from even the first century. The very first people who saw Jesus began to pursue him because there was something about his character that drew them in. There was something about what he was doing that caused them to lean in. To want to be near him. To want to get their picture taken with him if they'd had a camera. To want to get an autograph. They wanted to be around him because he was someone extremely special and they recognized that. Now we see that beginning in the first couple of verses of Mark 2. We see in in Mark 2 verse 1 it says "And that Jesus had returned to Capernaum after some days. Capernaum was a city up in Galilee in the north part of Israel, a city that rested right there on uh, the edge of the Sea of Galilee. Uh, Jesus was a Galilean, many of his first followers were, and Capernaum was somewhat of a home base for them in the north part of the country. We recognize the Sea of Galilee because a lot in the Bible happens around that area because that was somewhat of Jesus' home base. Capernaum was even a place where Simon, Peter, and Andrew, that was where they lived. There was a house there. Uh, that they resided in. And Jesus used this as somewhat of a home base of operations in the north part of the country. Though Jesus himself was from Nazareth, he certainly was very familiar in Capernaum and was somewhat at home there, staying with friends, or maybe even he had a place there himself uh, at some point before he began his public ministry. Capernaum was a home base. And Jesus Basing out of Capernaum had had done a lot of ministry that had caused people to lean in, to want to pursue him, to want to get to know him. If you look, do a quick scan of Mark chapter 1, you find some of the reasons why Jesus was doing some miraculous things. Uh, Jesus was calling his first disciples from this region. He was... Uh, healing people who were possessed by demons, casting them out. Uh, that was causing quite a stir. He he saw a leper uh, that he healed from his, his malady. He took the leprosy out of him. He made him clean. Uh, these were miraculous acts that caused people to flock to Jesus everywhere he was. When you look at some of the ways Mark describes it in chapter 1. Uh, Mark chapter 1 verse 28 says, And at once the fame of Jesus spread everywhere throughout the surrounding region of Galilee. Um, One thirty-three says, The whole city was gathering together at the door. They were coming to the place where Jesus was. Verse 36 and 37, Simon and those who were with him searched for Jesus after he had left the city and they found him and they said to him, hey, everybody back in the city of Capernaum is looking for you. Verse 45, Jesus went out and he began to talk freely about it, or this man went out and began to talk freely about it and to spread the news so that Jesus could no longer openly enter a town but was out in desolate places and people were coming to him from every quarter. The miracles that Jesus was working were causing quite a stir. They were causing people to, to, to run to his side, to want to pursue him, to want to get to know him. Uh, that is what was happening in Mark chapter 1. The celebrity of Jesus was growing based on his power. Have you ever thought about that? you ever thought about what it would be like if Jesus was alive today? Would people ignore him or would they pursue him? Make no mistake, they would pursue him because as Jesus lived and walked and, and interacted with people. He did things they had never seen before, and they, they flocked to his side to get to know him. People pursue Jesus. So many people were coming to him. In Mark chapter 2, it says that there was no room for him in the house where he was. They, people were backed up all the way to the door and all the way back into the street. We don't know for sure which house he was at, but it can be assumed in context that Jesus was maybe at the home of Peter. Earlier in chapter 1, verse 29, Jesus showed up at Peter's house and he healed his mother-in-law of a sickness that she had. Uh, it was a kind of a home base there. Jesus is at Peter's house and people are flocking to him. They're pursuing him based on what they had seen him do. You know, as we live our lives today, we need to be reminded that Jesus is worth pursuing. When we clearly see who he is, uh, we want to flock to his side. He's not just a historical person. He's not just the founder of a religion. He's not just someone that occasionally we might visit and learn about like somebody in a history book or a museum. But he is the son of God. He is alive and well. He is resurrected. He is in charge of... All things. He's going to return back to this earth one day. Uh, Jesus is someone who is worth pursuing. And the question is, what does it look like for us to pursue Jesus today? In, in the first century, it was obvious pursuing Jesus meant people came to the place where he was. They flocked around them to hear him speak. But what does it look like for you and I, as we're intrigued by the person of Christ, what does it look like for us to pursue him? Well, it looks like many, many times it looks like us gathering uh, in churches. It looks like us gathering in places where the name of Jesus is lifted up. We're pursuing him there. We want to know more about him. that's why we come. we want to worship Him. that's why we come. We're pursuing him in that way. Another way we pursue Jesus is by looking at our, our Bibles, reading our Bibles, studying the things that Jesus taught. We're pursuing him in that way. Another way we pursue Jesus is we when we gather together in a small group and we, we pray to him. Or we encourage one another. Those are are things that we do that are in pursuit of Jesus. We're attracted to him in some way and we gather near him. And so a question I would ask you today early on is, you know, if somebody were to take an inventory of your life, would they find enough evidence to see that you are someone who is pursuing Jesus? I think that if you know Jesus, if you know about him, if you have met him on the way to the cross, if you're looking at him, one of the things that will happen is your life will look like you're pursuing him. It's been that way from the very beginning. Are you pursuing Christ today? If not, keep listening to this story because you'll see evidence as to why you and I should pursue him as well. And if you are pursuing him, be encouraged all the more that, that you are reacting in a in a really a supernatural but a natural way, being drawn to someone who is very good as something we so much need. Pursue Jesus, the first thing we see from these verses. But the second thing we see is this we don't just pursue Jesus, but we present him. We present Jesus as well. And we see that in the story from the four friends that bring their paralytic friend to Jesus' side. We see this in verses 3 and 4. It says, And they came, bringing to him a paralytic carried by four men. See, there were four friends, really five. Four that could walk, one that couldn't. The one that couldn't spent his whole life on a mat. If he wanted to go anywhere, someone had to carry him. And so as Jesus shows up at a house in Capernaum, he's been identified, and people hear that he is performing miracles. The four friends think that the best thing that they could do for their friend is to get him in the presence of Jesus. They wanted to pursue Jesus, not just for themselves, but they wanted to pursue him so that they might be able to present their friend to Jesus. They wanted to present Jesus to their friend. And so, they pick up their friend on this mat, and they carry him to the presence of Jesus. Now, I want to notice several things about these friends and their actions. First of all, uh, these were men of action. They were men who did not just see their paralyzed friend and say, Hey, you know what? I'm going to pray for you. I'm just going to offer up a nice thought uh, for you. I'm, I'm going to do something like that. They didn't just just you know, give him a Hallmark card as they walked by. Instead, they, they got involved. They rolled up their sleeves. They thought, you know what, if, if I am really to love my friend, I'm going to do something more for him than just you know, tip my hat as I walk by. And so these men go to great effort to pick up their friend and carry him. I don't know if you've ever carried a, a grown person, a, a man or woman who is, for whatever reason, unable to to carry their own weight. If you ever carried them uh, yourself, it's, it's a difficult thing to do. The, the phrase carrying dead weight comes to mind. It's, it's hard to do. It's hard work. We don't know how far they went, but they, they could have gone blocks. The carrying their friend, the sweat dripping off their brow, they put real effort into their desire to present Jesus to their friend. They they picked him up and they, they carried him. The second thing we see about these men who presented their friend to Jesus, though, is that they did so through a lot of resistance. Look at what it says in verse 4. It says, And when they could not get near him because of the crowd, they removed the roof above him. And when they had made an opening, they let down the bed on which the paralytic lay. These men received some resistance as they tried to present their friend to Jesus. They, they got there and the crowd was so great they couldn't get in the house. Jesus is in the house. The house was not uh, a mansion. It was just a regular old house and the inside was already full. They couldn't see. They couldn't hear. They just knew that Jesus was inside or at least that's what they had been told. But rather than getting there and going, you know what, we did our best. We can't get in today. Maybe we'll catch him on the way out. The men did something more. They pushed through that initial resistance of the crowd. And they kind of navigated around the crowd up to the side of the house. Still not able to get inside. They didn't even let that second point of resistance stop them. But they walked up the stairs that would have been beside a, a Middle Eastern house in this era. They walked up on top of the roof of that house. And they began pulling away the tile and the thatch to see Jesus below them, that they might lower their friend down and present Jesus to their friend. They they pushed through the resistance. So not only they put effort, they pushed through, uh, but the third thing that they did was they actually took some risk in doing this. Now, you might be wondering why I say that they were taking some risk. They were taking some risk, I think, here, and we see that... Sorry, I, my computer's going to sleep there. Uh, we... We, uh, we see them take some risk here in that they were tearing off the roof of the house of Simon Peter. Now, what do you know about Peter? Peter got angry a lot. He raised his voice a lot. Uh, when somebody threatened a friend of his, Peter pulled out a sword and cut off the man's ears. Peter was not somebody you messed with and here four friends climb up on top of Peter's roof which I think as I mentioned earlier is where they were and they tore off Peter's roof That's a kicking the the junkyard dog if you want if you will uh, They were taking some risk everything they could do to present their friend to Jesus Now why did they do that They put forth the effort, they pushed through the resistance, they took the risk, but why? They did so because it seems clear they had faith that Jesus was the best thing for their friend. They understood what Jesus could do, who Jesus was, and so they pushed through all the way to present their friend to Jesus. Their faith caused them to push through. Now, here's the question for us today. You know, all of us who know Christ also know others who do not know him. Do those of us who know Christ, do we believe, are we convinced, do we have faith to believe that Jesus is ultimately what our friends who don't know him need? You know, if we believed that what our friends needed was more money, we would begin to clear out our checking account to hand them the money. If we believe that what they needed was better doctors, then we would go out of our way to make sure they had the best doctors. If we believe that what they needed was the best therapist, we would go out of our way to find the best therapist for them. And you know what? We live in a world that needs doctors and we live in a world that needs therapists. We live in a world that needs money. Uh, those things are not bad in and of themselves, but what do we really think people need? If we are convinced in our hearts, if we believe in our hearts that what people most need is Jesus, then you know what? We're willing to push through and put forth all kinds of effort. We're willing to to push through the resistance that we might face. We're, We're willing to take some risk in order to share Christ, to present Jesus to our friends. What do you really believe is best for your friends who don't know Christ? These men in this story believed that what was best for their friend was that he would be presented to Jesus. Do you have a similar conviction about those in your life? If you do, and if you have faith in that direction, what we see in the story is that it will cause us to act. It will cause us to certainly... To to pray for our our friends, to to, to bring their name before the Lord and ask Him to work. But it's going to move us to do even more than that. To engage in conversation with them and to talk about the person of Christ with them. To talk about the hope that we have for eternity. You know, as I even say that, I want to just take a moment and present Jesus to you. Because I don't know exactly where all of you are and where you sit with Christ. But if you're listening to this message today... And you have not come to the realization that your hope for eternity is not found in your good works, but is found only in forgiveness that is provided to us through what Jesus has done for us on the cross. And that by placing our faith in him, that we might be forgiven of our sins and have an eternal relationship with God in heaven. If you have never made that step to place your faith in Christ, I would invite you to do do so today. I love you, and I'm moved by this passage. Uh, to present Jesus to you today. Because I really believe that Jesus is ultimately what you need. And and for those of you who are out there who have friends that don't know Christ, have you been moved to to move past the the resistance, past the the difficulty it would take to start that conversation, to to press through it, to take a risk that maybe you might be rejected, maybe you might be seen as kind of odd or weird, in order to share Christ with a friend. If we really believe that Jesus is what they need, then we'll take the risk and we'll present him to them. We see that from this story. We see that from these men. The first thing we see is that we are to pursue Jesus. The second thing we see is that we are to present Jesus. The third thing we see is that we get to praise Jesus. Right here through this camera, where I sit and where you sit, we ought to spend some time praising Jesus today for who he is. Because this story indicates to us something of the incredible nature of who Jesus is and what he has done. We see this as the story continues from verses 5 to 12. It says, When Jesus saw their faith, meaning the faith of the four friends, he said to the paralytic, Son, your sins are forgiven. That's a funny thing to say, right? Was Jesus implying that this man was paralyzed because of his sin? I mean, it's obvious that what they wanted him to do was to help the man to walk. And yet Jesus responds by saying, your sins are forgiven. That's kind of of an odd thing to say. But that's what Jesus says. And he says it while the man is still lying on the mat, still paralyzed. Right after that, verse 6, it says, Some of the scribes were sitting there and they were questioning in their heart. Now, the scribes were the religious teachers of the day, the religious elite. Apparently not everybody in the house were people that wanted to see Jesus and, and praise him and worship him. Apparently there were some who were there who wanted to discredit him. And so when Jesus said, your sins are forgiven, they begin to question in their hearts, and they begin to question a real question. They begin to say, verse 7, why does this man speak like that? He's blaspheming. Who can forgive sins but God alone? And you know what? If Jesus were not God, they would have been right. It's wrong for any man to forgive sins. I cannot forgive your sins. No, No pastor, no priest can forgive sins. The sins that have been committed against God can be forgiven by God alone. The scribes knew this. And when Jesus said that, they assumed that Jesus was crazy. How is it that he could speak on behalf of God? Because they had not come to grips with the fact that Jesus was the Son of God. They said, he's blaspheming. But verse 8, Jesus, perceiving in his spirit that they thus questioned the Within themselves, said to them, by the way, that's a funny thing. It's a funny phrase. It's a difficult phrase in English, but these scribes didn't say this out loud. They were just kind of thinking this in their hearts and in their minds. Jesus, though, sees what happens on the inside just as well as the outside. I mean, not only is he getting ready to do some miraculous things in, in what he's to accomplish and the sin he's getting ready to forgive and the paralytic he's getting ready to heal, but Jesus reveals his power right here a third way by understanding what, what they were thinking. Jesus understood what they were questioning within themselves, and so he says to them, why do you question these things in your heart? That had to surprise him. You mean he knows what I'm thinking? And so then Jesus says, Which is easier to say to the paralytic, Your sins are forgiven, or to say, Rise, take up your bed, and walk? Now, which of those things do you think it's easier to say? Which of those things is easier to do? To have a paralyzed man walk, or to forgive someone's sins against God? Well, rest assured, both of those things are impossible for any man to do. No man can heal a paralytic. No man can forgive another man's sins against God. Jesus was saying two things that were impossible to men, but which of them would have been easier to say? In other words, which of those two things would have been more uh, verifiable? Well, certainly it's easier to say your sins are forgiven because how can anyone really know in that moment, in that instant? It's easier to say your sins are forgiven than to say get up and walk. If you say to the paralyzed man, get up and walk, and he still remains seated on the ground, then people would call you a quack. But if you say their sins are forgiven, they don't change color on the spot, so it was easier to say that. And so Jesus says to them, which is easier to say, your sins are forgiven, or rise, take up your bed, and walk. But then Jesus continues... And he says this. He says, but that you may know that the Son of Man has authority on earth to forgive sins. He says to the paralytic, I say to you, rise, pick up your bed, and go home. In other words, Jesus' real miracle that he wanted to work, the real thing that he wanted to offer. As a matter of fact, the better of the two miracles was going to be to offer forgiveness to this man. But in order that people would know that his claim of forgiveness was for real, Jesus said, I'm going to give you proof through the physical which you can see. You can't see the forgiveness I'm going to offer, so I'm going to give you a physical miracle that you can see to know that I mean business. And he says to the man, rise, take your mat, and walk. Go home. In verse 12, and immediately the man rose, picked up his bed, and went out before them all. Now... That is a miracle. If you've ever been around someone who's paralyzed, somebody that's been paralyzed for a long time, the atrophying of their body, their legs, uh, is significant. They would have withered away to to nothing. And even if they had strength in their legs, the coordination to be able to walk, to be able to carry a mat, would would have not been there. It would have taken time for that strength to come back, for the coordination to grow. And yet when Jesus speaks in just a word... The man who can't walk, walks. The man who can't hold, holds and carries. He gets up. The miracle happens in that moment and nobody can deny it. And the implication that Jesus is saying is, just as I can heal in the physical, so can I heal in the spiritual. Warren Wiersbe says this of this miracle. He says, forgiveness is in fact the greatest miracle that Jesus ever performs. It meets the greatest need... It costs the greatest price, and it brings the greatest blessing and the most lasting results. The real miracle that Jesus offers, the greatest miracle, is the miracle of forgiveness. He does the the miracle that we all ooh and ah over, the healing of the paralytic, just so that we would know he's serious about his offer of forgiveness. Think about this. The paralytic man whose sins are forgiven and whose paralysis is removed, will one day lose function of his legs again. One day he will physically die. We know this because he's not still alive on the planet right now. His body would eventually cave out again. But the forgiveness that Jesus offered was not just for that moment, but the forgiveness that he offered was on into eternity. That The effects of that paralyzed man, when we see him one day in glory, we will talk about his forgiveness, not about the lack of his paralysis. Because nobody in heaven will be paralyzed. And yet everybody in heaven will have their sins forgiven. That's the miracle that persists. That's why Wiersbe says accurately that the greatest miracle was the miracle of forgiveness. And you know what? When the people see this unfold, they realize that Jesus is not just someone who can heal the physical, but he's somebody who can deliver in the spiritual, who can make right their, themselves with God. And so what happens? But they praise him. It says... They were all amazed, and they glorified God, saying, we have never seen anything like this. You know what, as we come around the person of Christ as we pursue him, as we present him to others. uh, My prayer is that we never grow tired, we never grow weary of praising Jesus for who he is. Not just someone who can help us in the physical, but somebody who delivers in the spiritual. Not somebody that helps us only temporarily, but somebody who delivers eternally. We have a God that great, and it ought to move our hearts to praise him. What he does in the physical reminds us merely of what he can do in the spiritual. You know what? The scribes were able to question Jesus because what they saw in the physical world looked like a failure. The man, though Jesus proclaimed his sins forgiven early in the story, still lay on his mat. And you know what? In your life and in my life, the times that I sometimes question that God is present, the times that I question that God is caring, the times that I, I, I question if God is real, if he loves me, are, are times when the physical world is revealing to me people on mats. When I feel like I am paralyzed with fear or with circumstance, those are the moments I'm most tempted to question if God is really real in the spiritual. The scribes found themselves in that spot. You and I find ourselves in that spot at times. You may find yourself in that spot today. But if that's the case, I want you to focus on the end of the story. If you feel like you're paralyzed, if you feel like you're down, be encouraged by how the story ends. Jesus calls forth the the man to rise, and I believe that Jesus, through this story, wants to call forth you to rise up as well. He wants to encourage your heart today through this story that he indeed is able to deliver in the spiritual. You've probably seen some answer to prayer in the physical realm in your life. I know that I have. And we need to have those times remind us that though those times are incremental, God's delivery of the spiritual is always, just as it was in the life of this man. You know, we've seen three things from this story. We've seen that that we have an opportunity to pursue Jesus we've seen that we have an opportunity to present jesus it's always worth it to present our friends to jesus or to present jesus to our friends and we've seen that we have the opportunity to praise jesus as well this is the great truth from mark chapter 2 verses 1 to 12. and as you've listened to this if you've hung with me all the way to the end i want to encourage you to have some conversation about these verses together uh, as an individual, as a family. And on uh, my blog and on the city, wildwoodmark.com, as well as wildwood.onthecity.org, there are some questions that we've posted there to help you continue to process and apply the truth of Mark 2 together. Uh, very thankful that you've chosen to spend some time with us today. I want to pray for us, and then uh, we will dismiss this this uh, virtual message. So uh, let me pray. Father, thank you. Thank you that you are uh, a God who is worth pursuing. Thank you that you sent Jesus into the world to reveal yourself as the mighty God. Uh, Father, thank you that we have the privilege of being able to present Jesus to our friends, knowing that that he is what we need, who we need. Uh, Father, and thank you that you are, are a God who is worthy to be praised and that your son Jesus is worthy to be praised we pray that that uh, you would help us to live a life that is marked by these things, pursuing, presenting, and praising Jesus Christ. We thank you, and we pray these things in Jesus' name. Amen.